You're describing the B2B version of the Matthew McConaughey Lincoln commercial. (laughs) When I drive my Lincoln, I like to think about the horizon. So what does that have to do with cars? We don't know. No. (laughs) Have fun. Exactly. Yeah. Welcome to Page One or Bust, your ultimate guide to getting on page one of search engines. Generative AI is shaking things up in the world of content marketing, and brands of all sizes are pivoting strategies to keep up. That's why we're talking to Alicia Gaeta, Small Business Marketing Manager at Meta. She's a total pro when it comes to rolling with the changes, with more than a decade under her belt at Meta, Dell Technologies, and global ad agencies. In this episode, Alicia talks about past B2B marketing makeovers that have nailed their strategy pivots and the lessons we can learn for the new age of content marketing. You'll hear advice for keeping content integrity, maintaining diverse and inclusive content, and much more. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Page One or Bust is brought to you by Demand Jump. Get insights, drive outcomes with Demand Jump. Get started creating content that ranks for free at demandjump.com today. And now, here are your co-hosts, Drew Detzler and Ryan Brock. Welcome back to Page One or Bust. This is your host, Drew Detzler. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Brock. Ryan, how are we doing? Yo, doing well. How are you today? Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm excited because today we have Alicia Gata, the Small Business Marketing Manager at Meta. Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. So, Alicia, before we get into a couple of the topics today, why don't you share a, a little bit about your career journey and tell us how you ended up in your current role? Sure, yeah. So, I started my career in in advertising. It was like a long time ago, actually. And it's a funny story how I even ended up in advertising. I knew I wanted to do something in the media space and I wasn't sure what. So when I was in college, I did like at least, I think, 10 or 12 internships. In like 12 internships? <laughs> yeah, at least that many. And I was like, I was like a radio host. I did. I was also an assistant director in a Bollywood film. So, Same. <laughs> Me too. I, Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Not weird at all. And so I did like I would end up doing these random gigs to figure out what I really wanted to do. And that was actually right. And like I I ended up in an internship as a copywriter, absolutely loved it. And then I did not look back. So I started my career as a copywriter in the CPG space. I did like ads for Oreo, Nivea, all these like fun CPG brands. And this was back in Mumbai. So this was back in India. I grew up in India. And the most interesting part was that these brands were like global names, right? Like big names, but then they were just entering the Indian market. Mm. So people knew about these brands but like you know they were officially in the Indian market for the first time so it was really fun kind of working on those campaigns uh, and so I moved from one agency to another I started with a draft FCB Ulka then I worked a little bit at Saatchi and Saatchi and then I went to Publici and then during those like three four years I learned a lot about like how to run a successful campaign and what a good creative looks like and you know how to get your copy approved and how to kind of like work with customers and you know how to work with clients and things like that like all of that and I really enjoyed thinking about like brand strategy, marketing strategy, you know, like kind of really thinking about the bigger picture. And so that's what kind of got me thinking about my next step in the career. And I, I decided to pursue a career in marketing. And so I didn't have any a business degree. My undergrad was in advertising. It was a purely creative degree. And I decided to pursue a degree in business. So that's what got me to the US actually. And I studied at the University of Michigan. I did my MBA. And I thought I would probably end up having like, you know, doing a role in marketing in the CP 
CPG space. But at Michigan, I was introduced to B2B marketing. So Dell was recruiting on campus. Microsoft was recruiting. All these big companies were recruiting. And the culture at these companies was something that I fell in love with. I really enjoyed the kind of opportunity that lied ahead. Because I feel like with CPG, there was like a hundred years of like brand legacy and colors have to be a certain... Everything was like so decided and so had to meet a certain structure that I felt like with B2B, there was just so much more opportunity, especially in tech B2B. And so I thought it was just better use of my time and I would learn a lot more. And so I did, I joined Dell. So I did an internship in global comms on the global comms team. I worked on influencer marketing actually right before it was a thing. And then I joined the B2B laptops and desktops business at Dell. I was like running the North America campaigns for like six years. So I did like a lot of different roles. <laughs> I started with doing content programs and then I was running their biggest marketing campaign. And then I was also running campaign strategy. So I did a lot of roles in those six and a half years. And then I focused primarily on the top 3,000 customers, like our commercial customers, the large businesses as the world, like to address them. So I worked on that. And then I was like, okay, I've done this. I've done CPG. But the only thing that's kind of missing in my, not the only thing, but one of the things that's missing is like a small business kind of experience. Like it's a completely different world. Totally. And yeah. And so this opportunity at Meta kind of came up and I was like, okay, let's try it. Like, you know, I got the role and I was like, this is going to be a great addition, kind of like building out the skill sets, you know, that I'm looking to build out. And so, yeah, that's what I've been doing for a year and a half is like focusing on small business marketing. It's also a global role, which is a very different experience and working only in North America. That has its own challenges. And that's how, yeah, that's what kind of got me here. That's what I love about marketing that, you know, especially if you lump advertising in as part of the broader marketing umbrella, you can do anything. You can go anywhere. You can have like, you can become an expert in a million different things. You can experiment with a million different skills and always have something new to, to discover. It's cool to hear that story. Yeah, completely agree. I feel like you become experts in like so many different, like I when I started my career, I used to work on like, I had no idea about cars and then I used to work on a car brand in India and then I knew so much about four wheel drives and how like a certain chassis has to be a certain way and things that I never thought I would know. So yeah, there are like random pieces of information that I have, which have, make no sense. There were like five or six years there when I owned my content agency where I would argue that like in terms of like copywriting, content writing, I was one of the most prolific and like probably well-established like ghostwriters on the 401k and retirement space in the country. And I didn't have a 401k. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I just, I was telling everybody all day, you got, here's why you got to get a 401k. Here's yeah. how you got to, why you got to match it out. And I'm sitting there looking at my bank account like crap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still astonished by all of the random knowledge, seemingly random knowledge in our content writing team team's heads. I love it. Okay, so it, you're at Meta now. Let's backtrack a little bit to, to your pre-Meta days. I'm really interested in your experience there. And, and talk yeah. about brands marketing philosophy. Let's talk a little bit about how B2B marketing philosophy has evolved over the past decade. Yeah, I can probably, I think, speak to it like, you know, from my POV. But I, in when I started at B2B, it was a very clinical, you know, it has to be done a certain way. It was very like information heavy, very much like, you know, facts forward and very little emotion. And so when I joined the B2B space, that was like one of my biggest fears was like, I don't know how to market that way. Because, you know, coming from CPG, it was all about emotions and moments and, you know, about like making a customer feel a certain way. And so I started kind of seeing this evolution as well as like, you know, I kind of was pushing it on my end in my capacity in my role that I was doing at Dell was that like it's a customer at the end of the day. It's a human at the end of the day that you're talking to. 
And how do you kind of bring in that element of B2C and B2B? And how do you kind of tell a story? And every brand has a story. And like, I also was like, at that point, kind of going through so much research on like how B2B decisions are made. And everything is not really a fact-based decision. Obviously, it makes a big part of like, you know, like if somebody is buying a thousand computers, it has to make sense financially for them to do that. But it wasn't just that. It was also so many other factors that were playing a role in them deciding that. And I felt like from a marketing point of view, we could also market to all of those things versus just, you know, the bottom line versus just giving them information on specs and versus just talking about that. And I feel like that shift is happening. I hope it is happening across the board. I've definitely seen it happen in like with the bigger brands where it's more about like that story, more about building a brand even in the B2B space. And it's not just about like, you know, overloading information. It's not just about overloading with like technical, you know, or like cost saving and, you know, focusing just on the specs of things. And I feel like that's the shift that I'm seeing. And I hope that continues. Yeah, I've noticed in my own experience with B2B brands, I guess even now you could call them early adopters who are doing the hey let's try to have a story let's try to be human beings and like actually do what we're best at which is telling stories but then even where that's not happening what i've been interested in is seeing so many b2b brands embracing that publisher model like understanding that in order to do business in 2023 you've got to be a publishing house you've got to understand what your market wants and you've got to produce content that guides them on their own journeys of you know self-education about your things it's not just like talking about what you think is the best value prop in an ad but understanding the very circuitous nature of the modern customer journey like people are going to learn about things in different ways you got to be present where they are and that in some small way i think has pushed a lot of b2b brands past what you're talking about that like really simple high level you know value prop persona blah 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 you know technical information stuff and more into let's just answer real people's questions and some of them are going to be customers some of them aren't but in the end we're building authority and that's an important thing yeah and i also think that like when i say like yeah the emotion part of it i feel like sometimes b2b brands kind of take it in the wrong way and you see like these i mean like we can we have all seen these ads where there are like random images and words interspersed and try to evoke emotion and then you know it doesn't make a point a full range of like you know documentary style like trying to evoke emotion and then on the other side it's like specs and like let's push our product and let's just talk about how a product makes the difference in the world and there's like no in between but like as you said like yeah there needs to be some form of like information given to them in the way they want to like that's also kind of thinking about the customer putting the customer first and giving them information that they want you're uh, you're describing the b2b version of the matthew mcconaughey lincoln commercial like (laughs) when i drive my lincoln i like to think about the horizon and it's like what does that have to do with cars we don't know no (laughs) have fun (laughs) exactly yeah and as a copywriter, I've written a lot of those. Like, yeah. We all had so myself. easy to be exploitative emotionally or to pretend we're smarter than we are. And then you think you're missing out by not just saying you get exactly. it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So I'm equally to be blamed here. But I do feel like I think, yeah, there's like a very happy, nice medium that could be achieved. We're going to get an email from Alicia's people after this saying, you know, Alicia wrote that Matthew McConaughey commercial. <laughs> yeah. Way Please to do your research, out. dude. <laughs> Please cut that out prior to post post. I love that. Hey, I wish. Uh, I always wish working with him. So I, yeah, <laughs> that was a perfect example, though. So I, Ryan, I know, I know, I know you've had this conversation, and Alicia, I'm sure you have. But do you have any examples or stories of some of those early adopters of the hey, let's not just put out dry specs and technical stuff. Someone that someone that said, yeah, go ahead, put some personality into it. Because one, how yeah. did you get them to agree to that when no one else was agreeing to 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 have that personality in their content? And, and two, how did it go? 
Yeah, I think I can speak about stuff that I've worked on. Two things, actually, you know, so I, I worked in the influencer space in, at Dell and it was not even called that. Like, I think it was called influencer marketing much later. But when I was working at Dell, we realized that influencers were a big part of obviously our narrative, our social narrative. But also when we are selling laptops for big companies, it's being used by like end users and the end users are the ones that are consuming all of this content online. And so we really were diving deep into our like brand equity, where does it stand and who are the people at the end of the day advocating for what laptops to be used. And we realized that like our regular media plans were really not targeted towards them. And so it's also very difficult to make the case when like we won't see a direct ROI, (laughs) a direct ROI uptake when we target to consumers in a B2B brand, like, like, you know, it's kind of unheard of. But I think we just saw this kind of shift, especially with COVID. There was like people were just consuming so much content online, like, you know, like daily kind of view times are going up on like significantly on social media. And so that was one of the opportunities that we kind of tapped into. We presented the data around like, see, that's how much time people are like spending online. There's also like this whole like sleuth of like corporate influencers that have come up. They were like basically talking about like how work from home and, you know, kind of making a lot of humor around that. And I was like, that is amazing. Like, let's tap into this. Like, why do we have to sound like a boring B2B brand? We we can be fun and part of the social narrative. And it doesn't mean compromising on what our brand stands for. It really just like, you know, presenting our brand and what the current scenario is. And so that's what we kind of made the case for. Luckily, like I think with the leadership, like we had to talk about like just like the followership and, you know, it wasn't like a big budget that we set aside we set aside a small testing budget and we were like let's start start with three influencers this is how much budget we can probably you know set aside for testing and let's see how it goes and obviously there was a little bit of data that was backing it up but then it was just purely like also like an intuition and a logic game at the end of the day really making the case and uh, we kind of started small and we saw an amazing engagement with those pieces of content and they were like really pieces of content that you would want to share and it is not just something like you know that a brand is being pushed forward it's so organic so well put together and so when leadership saw that and then they just saw overall like a change in the sentiment like it is obviously a very small because it was a smaller test but they were able to kind of like you know see that happen I feel like that's where it kind of got the buy-in on like influencer marketing and like we had never done that in the B2B space I don't even know a lot of brands still do that and so I feel like that was something that was unique about what we did at Dell for yeah. sure I mean we do that right Drew I mean like that's a <laughs> influencer marketing in a way is kind of a big part of like how we a B2B SaaS company market today and it's because that genuine voice cannot be distilled to like this is the brand speaking you have to have yeah like it's okay to have a human that's fallible be somewhat yeah. you know representation of what you're trying to accomplish. So yeah, it works for us. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It also has to be done. Like you can't give them a script. Like you have to do, if you are doing influencer marketing, you have to do it right. And you have to keep it authentic to their voice. And, you know, so you have to find like this medium of where does your brand meet and where does their voice meet? And like, you cannot push. So I think that's also very important is that some brands try to do it, but then they do it extremely wrong. Yep. Amen. Okay. That brings me to a topic that I know is near and dear to Ryan's heart and, and Alicia, yours as well. And, and content integrity, talking about hum- putting humans into the into the brand. Let's talk about content integrity, especially in this era of automation. So, Alicia, what's your take on the current state of B2B marketing in this 
automation era that we're in? I think so. AI is like the word, right? Like <laughs> you turn a corner and that's the word you hear is AI. Yep. I feel like everybody and everybody thinks that generative AI is the next best thing. Of course it is. It is going to make lives easy. But I don't think people understand fully, uh, including me, I would say at times, is like we don't understand fully of like the capabilities, what that's going to mean. And then what that's going to mean when like hundreds of brands are now going to use generative AI to build their content. So at the end of the day, obviously, it's about how good of a prompt you can write. But it's also about like your knowledge of what good content is, because generative AI is now going to make thousand people think that oh we are copywriters and now right. they're going to push out content All right, <laughs> thinking yeah. yeah like they're going to push out thinking oh like this is the best performing blog and you know and I feel like it's going to be Hunger Games, but it's like AI Hunger Games of like whose content is going to rank to the top. But I feel like you have to have a good sense or a knowledge of who your customer is. What do they like? What is authentic content? What is something that's going to resonate? And those things will not go away or those things will not change even if AI is here. So I've heard a concept before that we should have a version of the Olympics where everyone is allowed to dope. Where you can you can use as many steroids, as many performance enhancing drugs as possible. Let everyone do it, and then see what like we look like as humanity in at our weirdest, right? At like our our fullest extent. That is exactly the situation we're in right now, where <laughs> essentially AI has made doping legal for every brand when it comes to making marketing. And now you have all these yes. brands who think that thing that's gotten them through all this time, which is doping, is like going mm -hmm. to make them win when yeah. everybody's doing it. So now you have to find the other thing that's going to make you better than the next guy. And it's certainly not using the same thing they're using the exact same way. Exactly. Oh, my God. I wouldn't have I couldn't have described it better myself. <laughs> what, wasn't it the was it the Tour de France when when the Lance Armstrong stuff all got ripped away that to find the person that didn't test positive for for some sort of doping they would have had given given the winning to like the twentieth person <laughs> it's, to finish. Yes. <laughs> it's, it, it, yeah. it's very similar to where we are with and AI fun, and content. The funny thing about it is what that means effectively is you can have your scruples and you should be you know wanting to do the right thing you should be wanting to provide value in content but if your scruples take you to the point where you're like nah i'm gonna ignore that whole thing because i'm better than that then you're gonna be the guy in 20th place waiting for everybody else to get knocked out right like there's there's yeah. gotta be a middle ground where like unfortunately it's not illegal to use this stuff so it's kind of a broken metaphor but the point is like can't go one way or the other like if you're if you're the only guy not using it then you have no shot yeah. in the world but if you're using it right and you're doing it like other people and you know that that one thing isn't the advantage yeah maybe yes so what is that at least so what is that when it comes to maintaining your content's integrity while also mm -hmm. using AI and other automation? Yeah. How do you do that? So this is my take on it is that I feel like AI is a good starting point, but it's not the end result. And I think you have to have a brand voice. You have to have people that know your brand voice. You have to know who you're talking to. What are some of the things that, you know, resonate with that audience? What are some of the messages that you want to say? What is your key message? What are what are some of the things that, you know, you think kind of ladder up to your overall like brand message? I feel like those are the key things you always have to keep in mind. And then AI is a good starting point. You kind of feed it and you see whether what the output lands, there'll obviously be some kind of fine tuning that you can do. But nothing can take away the human element of like knowing that, yes, this is a good piece of content that my customer is going to like. And it has just probably taken away hours of your work, which is a great thing. So you can now push more content, but obviously you don't push a lot of content. Or you can push better content, content, right? Like, or you can yeah. do like, or you can do more creative thinking. You can, I, I'm very much looking forward to the world where I can sit in a room 
and stare at the wall for five hours just thinking and that's productivity because now i got the tools to help me execute when i'm ready right like we should all be looking forward to that a hundred percent yeah like there there are probably like at this point like you know you are as a marketer prioritizing out of the 20 messages not even 20 like 10 messages you can probably do justice to three or four and i think with ai you can probably now spend more time thinking about those like you know what are the key strategic messages you want to tell your customer and then ai kind of does the heavy lifting of building that out and then you do the you don't do a heavy lifting but you basically fine-tune it. And then that, I feel, is like something that I see being a use case. But I wouldn't fully ever rely on generative AI to just start building content for me. Agreed. One last touch point on AI before we get to our lightning round, and that's around diversity and and representation. I know we've had some discussions about that at Demand Jump when it comes to using AI and content. But Alicia, do you think that there's potential for when using AI, it having unintentionally an influence on on diversity and inclusion representation of your content? I do think that I feel like AI definitely is like it's it's your input that kind of make the output at the end of the day. There are studies from so many different outlets that have come up with like AI, obviously like, you know, <laughs> thinking a certain way, responding a certain way, you know, things like that. So I, I do think from like a diversity and inclusion point of view, I'm curious to see what, what the output is. But I, I in general feel like marketers really need to be more cognizant of like the marketing that they are putting out and really need to think about like how they represent their customers. And this is a learning journey for me. So I'm not sitting at a pedestal trying to give like be preachy about it. But it's just about like, you know, if you're showing your customers Customers. Like when I look at marketing, I'm like, is this is this what your true representation of a customer is? Like, you know, for example, I'm South Asian, and if like I see South Asian households, like so often they're not. There are something really hard for me to relate to because that's not what a South Asian house looks like. That's not how South Asian parents behave. That's not how you know. Like, it's a very different dynamic, and all of us like come from like, especially in America, there's like people come from so many culturally rich backgrounds and I feel like that representation isn't documented well mm-hmm. so I'm no. really not sure how good AI is going to do a job <laughs> of like even like you know it's not like we don't have those inputs for a very strong output and so I feel like that is something that could definitely give a marketer an edge if they re- really decide to you know deep deep like dive deep really understand the customer and then try to showcase that so I, I agree 100% and I think it's important to even take a step deeper into the problem and think about like what is at stake in this situation because like i mean it's one thing to say intellectually i think anybody who understands marketing and understands technology can understand why an ai might lean towards predominantly the views of white males like me and drew because those are the people that have the loudest voice in american society those are the people that have benefited from a you know a pedestal the longest but what's at stake there like why is that a problem outside of the fact that we're not just listening to other voices well it's a problem because we all start just homogenizing and creativity dies and insight dies and so like when you look at ai and take it at face value that it's answer it gives you like on a question that might have multiple answers is the right one you're ignoring a lot of people who have a lot of insight and a lot of perspective and a lot that can be taken into account as you're trying to provide value and solve a problem so yeah it's like i i'm afraid of ai as it exists right now because of the way that it could make us even more stagnant in just accepting the status quo and accepting that certain people who look certain ways should be the ones deciding what the general consensus opinion is. And then I'm also afraid that it's going to lead to 
less curiosity, less creativity and less diversity of, of perspective, which is so important right now. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And I feel like also like the data that we have is uh, like, you know, over the over like hundreds of years, it has left out so many like it has left out women. It has left out like minorities. It has left out so many different like people in their point of views that like if we start relying on this instead of like making it better i feel like the whole narrative is again going to skew one way yeah. and it's just not going to be yeah yeah and if we base all of our ai models on that old data that wasn't complete then we're we're locking ourselves in time like we're freezing mm-hmm. it yeah. and that's not good exactly exactly yeah so ai completely let's kill great. it kill yeah. it dead <laughs> that's completely you heard it here folks uh, shut down the machine yeah. <laughs> all right we will end on that Tale of caution. <laughs> but before we go, Alicia, we're going to walk through what we call our lightning round. I'll just ask you a few questions and you rattle off the, the first thing that comes to mind. Sound good? Yeah. Alicia, what was the last thing you searched? Shopping list for Alaska. Oh, okay. Alaska. Going to Alaska? When, when, when are you going to Alaska? Mm-hmm. I'm going to Alaska next week. Oh, awesome. and you're just now shopping now. Well, I mean, I'm a last minute person. All right, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I'm with Where you. are you going in Alaska? I'm going to Wrangell uh, uh, St. Elias, and then Kenai Fjords and Homer. So those three places. Wow, I, I've always yeah. wanted to go. It sounds amazing. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'll send you guys pictures. Yes, please do. <laughs> I'm jealous. All right, Alicia, what's your favorite offline hobby? I don't know if this is a hobby. I love working out. I love lifting weights. I love running. I've discovered it four years ago. Uh, from like not doing anything to now doing this every single day so i feel like that's and then cooking i love i love to cook but like also like experiment with like healthy recipes i don't eat gluten all that fun stuff and so i'm like what can you make (laughs) with all these restrictions that you have so yeah so i would say those are the two things that i really enjoy and then oh this would be a miss is that seattle so i have to hike and that's like one of the things i have to say that i like doing sure i don't like doing it yep yep well we were just going to assume that if you didn't say it yeah Uh, i love it Uh, all right alicia are there any books or movies that have made you a better marketer other than the movie that you worked on in one of your 12 internships obviously that clearly did. yeah that definitely made (laughs) me a better marketer because it made me quit. I think uh, Invisible Women. So that's something that I will be just talking about right now, right? That's been an eye-opening book recently about how like women have been left out in like different kind of research studies and how like the world is pretty much designed without them in mind. And I feel like that is something that has really been like, you know, it obviously gets me angry every time I read it in a good way, but it makes me always think about like the biases that I have. And like, you know, I think sometimes a certain way, a certain, like, you know, in a certain way. And I feel like that is something that has really helped me be a better marketer really question some of those beliefs quote from that book that captures what we were just talking about really well the result of this deeply male-dominated culture is that the male experience the male perspective has come to be seen as universal while the female experience that of half the global population after all is seen as well niche exactly like i found out that door handles were designed keeping men in mind and they're like their hands and our hands are smaller and like i haven't been angrier at door handles (laughs) (laughs) as much as i have Alicia, getting angry at inanimate objects is like one of my favorite things. So this is great. I love hearing that from another person. He is very good at it. If if you ever need some lessons. We would get along. We would I get angry at inanimate objects all the time. Yeah, I can tell for sure. (laughs) I love it. Okay, we'll finish up with this one, Alicia. Finish Mm -hmm. this phrase. Content is king, but... 
clarity's queen. Ooh. You need to have clarity, I feel like, on yeah, what your content is going to say, who is going to target, all of those fun things that we spoke about. Good content is king, but I feel like like it is the clarity that drives drives it to be good. As a writer, I can tell officially that you are a writer. That you, That is what a writer <laughs> would say through and through. A real one, anyway. A good one. So thank you for sharing that wisdom with us. And quick-witted. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, thank you. Alicia, this was a great conversation and we'll do it again. Where can people yes. find out more about you? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Alicia Gada, and then also on Instagram, Alicia Gada. Everywhere I'm Alicia Gada. So just but find me on only those two places for now. Show notes, <laughs> listeners. Find it in the show notes. Of course. Find it in yes. the show notes. Well, thank you, Alicia. Another good one, Ryan. And that's it for this episode of Page One or Bus. Later. Are you ready to dive even deeper into pillar-based marketing? Here's your chance. The brand new book, Pillar-Based Marketing, a data-driven methodology for SEO and content that actually works by co-hosts Ryan Brock and Christopher Day is now available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook editions. Find it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or look for the link in the show notes.